Welcome to the Challenge Podcast. My name is Bram McCartney, founder and director of the 38 Challenge, a warrior workout in memory of my brother, Captain Matthew Brewer, in order to raise awareness for mental health and veterans and athletes. On February 19th, 2021, Captain Matthew Brewer committed suicide due to the invisible scars he endured through a lifelong mission of serving and protecting others. The Challenge Podcast allows warriors to show vulnerability in order to empower others to seek help and to do the same. This podcast at times might seem uncomfortable, and while that's because showing vulnerability is one of the most challenging yet strongest things that someone can do. If you or a loved one are experiencing suicidal thoughts, please contact the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. And now for this week's episode. Episode 12 of the 38 Challenge podcast. Uh, This morning we have Bo Snelson. Bo is the Director of Operations at the 38 Challenge, COO, right-hand man, whatever you want to call it, that is Bo. Um, when, when, when bringing people into the 38 Challenge, it's, it's hard for me, right, because this is my baby. And so when I was looking for someone, I needed someone who knew Matt. I needed someone who served this country. I needed someone who played football. Um, I needed someone who was just re- relentlessly vulnerable. And that is, you know, that is Bo Snelson and Bo, brother, happy to have you on the 38 Challenge, pumped to have you on the podcast. Um, I know that that we can talk about mental health and vulnerability all day long, so I, I think this will be the first of, of many. I'm excited to be here, man. I uh, appreciate you having me. Obviously, uh, been a long time coming since you started this whole thing off, so um, yeah, man. Ready for it. <clears throat> 100%. So why don't you give an introduction to the, the folks listening? You know, who is, who is Bo Snelson? Um, so, you know, from Texas originally, uh, you know, dad's a high school football coach. Mom's a high school math teacher. You know, we bounced around the Southeast until uh, we ended up right around Houston. Um, you know, high school football there. Uh, talking about Pops kind of early on. You know, we had a discussion. He uh, he asked me what I wanted to do, and I told him I wanted to play D1 football. Um, you know, so I'm 5'7", maybe 175, 170 pounds at that time. And, uh, you know, he's not just headed me. He's like, all right, man, well, we're going to get there. He's like, but it's not going to be easy, you know. So <clears throat> I think the beginning of, I guess, uh, my grind in a way kind of started then. <clears throat> uh you know, a lot like Matt, uh, kind of had a chip on my shoulder, was trying to work hard, um, ended up at the Naval Academy, obviously. Uh, played there for four years. That's where I met Matt. Um, you know, lucky enough senior year to be voted uh, the uh, office of captain, which, you know, still to this day is probably, you know, one of the honors that I hold most dear to my heart, you know, that a bunch of men that I wanted to bleed and, you know, be like, not let down, you know, they were the ones that, that, that chose me, you know, to – kind of be their voice that was cool um <clears throat> after after football obviously you know the academy over the service uh ended up in the marine corps you know chasing the infantry life uh same as matt you know most dudes from our team that go marine corps usually end up in the infantry uh, i'm not sure if that's you know statistically whatever that means right but you know navy football dudes tend to lead toward lean towards uh seeking out what whatever what most would consider probably you know, the most dangerous jobs those those uh <laughs> those jobs where it's going to be the hardest where it's it's going to be the most physically taxing you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. um you know from there I ended up in hawaii for four years met a lot of really really good dudes um and right around the end of my time in hawaii that was kind of when i started to recognize a shift in what i wanted how i wanted to define myself, how I wanted to be remembered, you know, how, how I wanted to talk to myself in those moments where, you know, situation happens, flash the bang and everything in your body is screaming, react somehow, you know, and before I was always a fighter, uh, rushing in, protecting folks, had a temper at sometimes, um, you know, but right around 2017, 2018, I realized that man, I, I didn't want to fight anymore. You know, that the more that I was fighting, the tired that I was, you know, that I was angry all the time uh, and wasn't anybody making me angry but myself, you know? And so 
you kind of talked a little bit earlier about, you know, that vulnerability that that was really the first time uh, surrounded by some folks that, uh, you know, that I really care about, that really care about me, who, uh, you know, have held me down through some of those things. That's the first time that I felt comfortable, that I felt safe enough that I could allow that to happen, mm-hmm. you know? And then, I mean, it was like a snowball effect because once you do and you realize, you know, that you're chasing that vulnerability piece or that's what you want, you know, that those walls that you're, you know, holding up to protect yourself, right. They're really kind of keeping you away from everybody else as well, you know, and the more vulnerable that I found myself being the stronger and the more confident that I found that I was, you know, and little things that used to bother me and they don't really bother me as much anymore. You know, I felt like I was able to gain some control back. Yeah. hundred percent, man. And a lot of things that there will be following up just from even that little bit, but you know, a lot of people that jump on this podcast and we have these vulnerable, converse, vulnerable conversations for it, they, they didn't necessarily know Matt. And obviously you are in a, a unique position so of knowing Matt and, and being his friend and his teammate. So kind of explain that relationship with Matt and who he meant to you. Uh, dude, Matt, Matt was just larger than life. Like all the stories that involve Matt Brewer are either, you know, on a spectrum. He was either there, you know, and did, did, you know, oh, I remember, yeah, Matt was there. Or it's like, he's, you know, blowing some, blowing some record out of the water in the weight room, you know, or, you know, running sprints just as fast as the wideouts and the running backs, even though he was 230, whatever, how big he was. Um, the dude the dude spoke with his actions so well, you know, he, he was about, he was about taking things from A to B, you know, and there really wasn't a whole lot of time in between, you know, and uh, I, uh, I got to see him as a football player, you know, and I got to see him as a Marine Corps officer as well, whenever we were in Hawaii together. Uh, And, you know, the dude was just, he was always a protector, you know, he, you know, quietly he quietly was the guy who went and walked like on the side of the street where the cars were you know and if you weren't paying attention you never noticed that right but matt always wanted to be kind of in between everybody else he you know wanted there to be at least a little bit of a layer you know that i felt like you know he was kind of protecting us you know anytime we were anywhere whether we were you know at the academy or or when we were out being uh out in hawaii running around but like man he uh he was always the one looking out for somebody else, you know? And I think too, one of those things that, uh, that hits you in the guilt and then the grief process is you start to think about who he was to everybody and, you know, who he was to me, you know, the things that we talked about when we did talk and I was guilty of it as well. You know, I, I never thought that Matt needed help. You know, Matt, Matt was always the guy who was helping everybody else. And I think, a lot of times we kind of get spun up or we'll just as human beings inadvertently, we'll forget. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that simple, like, Hey man, what's up with you? How are you? You know, just that, that pause, that moment to, to check on that. Who knows how far that's going to go, you know? And, uh, I mean, if anybody deserved to, to get looked after and protected a little bit, it was definitely Matt because he, he did a ton of that. Yeah, man, absolutely. So where were you when you heard the news of Matt and kind of walk me through your thought process when you, when you heard that? Um, uh, I was actually out to dinner, um, in San Diego, uh, we're at this rooftop restaurant, me and some friends and, um, Adam Johnson is a dude that went to school with us, played with us. He was in San Diego at the time. Uh, he called me, which is, isn't uncommon. You know, I mean, I, I figured he was calling to see what was going on if he wanted to meet up later. And he could hear the noise going on. And he goes, I need you to step outside. And uh, I I knew that wasn't good. I just didn't know what, right? So I walk out. You know, he asked me where I am. He said he's on the way. You know, he'll be there about five minutes. And then he kind of tells me the news. He's like, hey, man, like, I'm, I'm coming. Like, you know, just wait for me outside. And I remember kind of leaning on this planner 
on the sidewalk, like kind of trying to take it all in. And I couldn't, couldn't really make my body move. Um, but my mind was like trying to make this checklist of things that I knew I needed to do. And it was trying to like kick my body out of just sitting there. And I'm, um, you know, Hey, you know, we got to call the boys. We're going to make sure that they're doing this, right. There's going to be uh, this, this, and this to take care of. You know, there's a lot of folks that need our help right now. I was going through it and it was like, my mind was screaming to do something, uh, you know, and I just couldn't, I was just sitting there and Adam came around the corner and he saw me and man, he gripped me up. <clears throat> we started crying, you know, and it was like, I mean, Adam's, Adam's a good dude. Adam's really emotionally intelligent. Uh, does a good job, you know, kind of leveling things out. And uh, he was like, hey, man, here's what we're going to do. He's like, we're going to go up there. He's like, we're going to remember Matt tonight, right? He's like, we're not going to get too crazy, you know, because that's not what he would want either. He's like, but, you know, this one's for him. And then in the morning, when, whenever it's time, like, we're going to we're gonna lean into to what this needs and take care of him the way that he deserves. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Um, you know, and I think that that's, that's very unique, right, to know that why this means so much to you. And that's because that's because of who Matt was to you, right? And that's and that's why we brought you on. And kind of touching on that vulnerability aspect, right? Matt for one one reason or another Matt never showed that vulnerability. You know, he never whether no one asked him or he didn't feel that um, because of the way that people looked up to him, I think that he couldn't talk up about it. So, you know, from your experiences and your life, what does, what is your definition of vulnerability? <laughs> Man, I, sometimes it's as simple as just asking for help, right? Like kind of like you were talking about, you know, the, all of us feel like we have people that, that we depend on um, or that, that depend on us, excuse me. And uh, <clears throat> I think a lot of times it's easy to fall into the trap where uh, you feel like that if you aren't good, you know, the, the, then the whole, you know, house of cards is going to come crashing down. Um, you know, and a lot of that I think is, is being, being afraid of, of being that open with somebody else, you know, to kind of peel back the top and let them know like just how jacked up you really are. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Personal opinion, I'll tell you right now, like the times that I used to be afraid of that, you know, when I did get over it and I talked to those folks because I didn't need that help. And nine times out of 10, those are your friends. And you think that you're, I've found that I, I usually think that I'm, I'm way more messed up than I actually am, you know? So you kind of expose that a little bit and you talk to those people and you invite those people in and you know, they're not surprised or they're not scared. They're not going to run away. They're not going to drop you. You know, I think sometimes we, uh, we bottle those things up because if you, a lot of times we feel like if you're the guy who's always talking about his emotions or his feelings, right. And that's going to turn, that's going to turn other people away. Right. They're not going to want to be like, man, that guy's, that guy's got a lot of issues or, you know, that guy's got a lot of baggage or whatever it is, you know, and, Inherently, I think a lot of times we're, we're just afraid that we're going to end up alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important that we're having these conversations and that we're putting our own, you know, everyone has their shit, right? And something that you and I talked about a while ago is like, people are just afraid of what, it, it's all opinion, right? What is this person going to think of me? You know, if, if I tell him that I'm dealing with this, you know, him or her, I'm, I'm dealing with this, then what does that mean for our relationship? And I think for, for Matt and I, it was that exact thing, right? If he told me the things that was going on, he'd be like, you know, what is, am I still going to be the older brother that, um, that Brant sees me as? Right. Um, so, you know, picking off, piggybacking off of your definition of, of vulnerability, 
as your time being a captain at the Naval Academy, you know, being a captain in the Marine Corps and leading men, where did vulnerability kind of fit into your definition of leadership and how did that help you um, kind of be a better leader in those roles? Um, <clears throat> so kind of like I told you, man, I, I really didn't start to make that shift, um, you know, to gain that understanding until probably about 2017, 2018. <clears throat> so, man, looking back on it, there are a lot of instances where I could have been vulnerable or I could have shown compassion. Um, and I think that there, I think that there was, I don't know, too much pressure on, I was putting too much pressure on myself, right? In those instances where I feel like the times that I should have been, that was, I think in, in my younger life, when I felt like I like the furthest from it, you know, that I couldn't show cracks, that I couldn't show weakness, right? That, that you know, I couldn't be, I couldn't be sick. I couldn't be late, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and regardless of whatever it is you're doing, that's an enormous amount of pressure to put on yourself. You know, like nobody's perfect. You can't be on all the time, right? And quite honestly, if you're trying to do that, man, you're burning the candle at both ends. Like you're probably going to hurt yourself in some kind of way. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I realized, you know, once I made that transition from Hawaii to San Diego and uh, I was dealing with, you know, leaders in a different environment. Uh, and I was trying, you know, trying to help train these guys uh, to be those forward thinkers, you know, to be those, uh, you know, second in command uh, staff, non-commissioned officers and stuff where that vulnerability approach allowed me to kind of pull back their perspective and, you know, show them the bigger picture where, <clears throat> uh, you know, I think had I approached it with the same leadership style before, you know, they would not have been as developed. I, I don't think, you know, and again, only, only time can tell, but I was less concerned with, you know, based on where they were in their careers with like physical development or things like this, you know? So it was more, you know, intellectual and emotional in that way where it's like, Hey, how are you going to be able to get the most out of a kid that has, you know, money issues or, you know, uh, this, you know, this kid's having marital problems, you know, like we can't just walk around, you know, with a hammer and everything's a nail, you know, beating these people down, you know, cause then they're going to feel like they can't talk to us and we're just perpetuating the cycle. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, obviously I'm still learning, you know, but I, I did feel like I was able to implement that later, you know, so that <clears throat> my leadership style became, you know, much more like a teacher or like a mentor, mm -hmm. right? Well, at the same time I was able to learn a bunch, but you know, there were more discussions. There was time that was taken, um, you know, to have individuals talk or work themselves through certain things so that they can arrive at a conclusion, right. As opposed to having to just force feed it to them. Um, you know, those aha high fidelity moments. Um, you know, I, I feel like, I mean, I got better at it. You know, obviously, you know, hindsight's always 2020, you know, there's things you can improve, but uh, the vulnerability piece, I think helped me reach men, you know, in an organization where, you know, vulnerability or weakness is, you know, not only frowned upon, but it's despised, you know, and show these dudes that, that it wasn't weak, you know, like to have these discussions or to reach out or, you know, in the right kind of moments, you know, a little bit of compassion is going to go a long way. If that makes sense. Yeah. That makes plenty of sense. How, how did you see your guys react when, when, when you made that switch, did you see them trust you more? And did you see that being a more effective style of leadership rather than let's say, you know, back at the Academy? Yeah. Um, I would say so. Um, you know, I'm mean, obviously <clears throat> the jobs that you step into and the roles that you fill are much, much different. Um, <clears throat> however, you know, I was in a position where at what, 28 years old, I had been, you know, I'd been in the Marine Corps five years, you know, and there were dudes that were older than me that had been in the Marine Corps way longer than that, that now I'm in charge of. Mm -hmm. And so you walk in anywhere, uh, you know, shouting and being aggressive, you're going to make everybody defensive, you know? And so um, I, I think kind of to your point, the, 
my ability to reach a larger audience, uh, you know, like the, I, I gained the ability to reach a larger audience, you know, through my ability to have those conversations, through my ability to, you know, connect with a man that is 35, who's older than me, that's been in the Marine Corps, you know, 16, 17 years and is married with a child, you know, outside of the Marine Corps, like, uh, who knows, maybe we don't have a whole lot of common, you know, but I can empathize and I can talk to this dude and I can pick his brain for what he knows. And I can try to impart a little bit of knowledge that I have, you know, just in the hopes that those individuals that are interacting with you are going to leave better for that interaction. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So we've also talked this about this before off camera, but kind of walk me through when you started to make that transition within yourself to prioritize your mental health and to stop putting on this front of, you know, having to always be the strongest man in the room, kind of walk me through that time of your life and how your mentality changed. Um, hmm. uh, I think it was one of my buddies, man, we were, um, we were deployed, uh, you know, we were just in the Pacific. We were bouncing around, uh, training a bunch of host nations. Uh, and probably about after the third country, man, one of my best friends is like, man, this, he's like, the more places that we go, I just realize people are people, you know? He's like, I, he's like, I'd be hard pressed to, to find a man that I, for, he, you'd be hard pressed to find a man I couldn't share a beer with and have, and have some kind of common ground, you know? Um, I think the, the biggest shift in myself, right, was kind of like we talked about letting go of that anger, um, you know, trying to release a lot of that stuff that I think was, you know, kind of welling up inside me for whatever reason, you know, and I wasn't just letting it go. I was holding on to it and I was letting it simmer, you know, and then that would affect my reactions later on down at night, you know, and as, as opposed to being a bigger man and walking away, right, or, you know, hey, having some kind of an interaction and not, not escalating it. The biggest shift I realized is that the more open and honest and vulnerable I was to myself, but like, I kind of, like I told you, the less I cared, Mm. you know, know, as a younger man, you bump my shoulder, you know, we're, we're talking in a bar or whatever. And I mean, it was nothing, you know, we'd throw down. If I didn't like, if I didn't like what was coming out of your mouth, you know, I'd hit you with a headbutt, you know, something just for no reason, you know, like, like why like you don't have to fight everybody man you know and now like unless it's something egregious like you'd be hard pressed you know i'm i mean people have said all kinds of nasty things about me as i'm sure they have about everybody else but the difference is now that i don't feel the need to prove anybody else wrong because i know who i am you know and not fully right because i told you i still got work to do but i do know that i've got some pretty amazing friends and they love me right my friends don't have bad friends and if they love me, then I can't be that bad of a dude, right? You know, so what this person is saying or however this day is going or whatever it is, you know, you kind of have that mantra to settle yourself. And, it, you know, it feels good. You know, it feels it feels like I have gained more control, you know, because I'm not I'm not handing it out, right? I'm, I'm not allowing people to get a rise out of me, to get under my skin, you know, to, to dictate how I feel emotionally, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So showing showing vulnerability now you know let's let's practice that muscle because as you just said it's something that we always have to get better better at um so why don't you walk me through you know one of the one of the darker moments in your life and then how being vulnerable helped you you know overcome overcome that spot um I think one of the things we always, we always used to say, um, you know, is, you know, you're always good till you're not. And um, kind of like we were talking about uh, with, you know, the pressure and the, the need, you know, to feel in control or the need for other few people to feel like they can lean on you. Right. Because, you know, you, you want to, you want to feel worthy. You want to feel needed. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, 
once you, you kind of start to, you know, rattle on the rails, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> there comes a point where the, what you're showing to everybody else and who you are alone are very, very different. And, you know, uh, it starts small, right? Like I'm, I don't, I don't want to be out and around other people. Right. But I'm sitting here and I, I don't want to feel like this. So I don't want to feel, I'm, I want to feel something. Right. And so it always starts like, you know, for me, it was booze. Um, you know, and there was a point that, you know, I, I remember, I remember being upset. I'm not sure at what, right. And, you know, quick stops right around the corner. Cool. We're good. Um, and then, you know, a bottle of Jameson and I have much else later, you know, I woke up the next morning and I had my pistol on my gun, on my, my bedside table. Um, I can't tell you what I was thinking. I can't tell you what I was doing. Um, I mean, I can tell you at the state that I was in, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything good. You know, even if I was practicing quick draws or whatever, for whatever reason, you know, I mean, that's dangerous. Yeah. Um, um, and that I think was the moment um, for me really that I kind of realized I was, I was, I was fighting more than I was, than I was acknowledging, you know, and, um, you know, it took me, a, it took me a little bit, honestly, to kind of wrestle with that back and forth. Um, but once I kind of did and I got around it and I realized it was like, we don't do anything alone in the Marine Corps, right? We didn't do anything alone, you know, at, at Navy playing football, you know, I, there was always a unit, there was always a team. And somehow along the way I had lost sight of that and I had piled it all on myself, you know? And in that moment, I realized it was like, you know, asking for help, like we do this all the time, you know, like the whole, the whole, hierarchy of the Marine Corps is designed around, Hey, you're part of something bigger. So that if you need help, you can ask for help and we can surge more people to you, you know? And I, I put myself in a position where I was alone, you know, and I, I strayed kind of far away, you know, I was out in the deep water and I was looking around. I was like, all right, man, well, I could sit here and I can tread until I get tired enough to drown or I can start swimming. Um, you know, so that was kind of the first time, um, talk about one of those dark moments, right. That I realized that, you know, I hadn't been being honest with myself and I hadn't, and, and I had allowed, I had allowed something to get, to get away from me in a way that, you know, could have cost me a whole lot. Yeah, man. And one of the things I'll never forget that we talked about another part of our mission, you know, is, is, you know, alcohol and, and drug cons consumption, not only for, I mean, especially in, in military, you know, personnel, but just in society in, in general. And like you said to me, how many drunk text messages do you wish that you could take back? Right. When you're not in the correct state of mind, like you just don't care. No. And so when you put a gun to your head and you're under the influence and like you said, it takes three pounds of pressure to pull a trigger. Yeah, man. And that's a mistake you can't, you know, that's not something that you can take back. That's not a text message you can say, hey, sorry, I was I was drunk, right? Right. Or even just apologize. Hey, I made a mistake. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if, if alcohol was, you know, a part of Matt's suicide. It's not really important. But we have to not rely on those things crutches right as you as you know now right that we can't rely on drugs now because it's all a lie and it makes you feel it makes you forget or it makes you feel whatever um a little happier a little less like you care in the moment but you're just you're just putting you know a, a band-aid over a gun wound like it's not it's not going to help um it's it's one of those things too where the the work hard play hard 
mentality is so prevalent in the military and it's so prevalent in athletics where, where it starts as social, right? And then before you know it, you, you've associated what you do with that. That's a part of who you are, mm-hmm. right? Drinking hard, partying hard. That was, that was part of being a college football player. That was part of being a Marine, <clears throat> you know, and you're literally setting yourself up for all those points when you do finally get out, right? That now do I have a dependence or do I abuse it? Right. That's a spectrum for everybody that's different, but at the same time, I've been doing this for so long and I know this makes me feel better. So now I, I've removed myself from, you know, I, I'm, I've transitioned out of, uh, out of the military. Right. And, you know, who knows what, what your network looks like or who's actually checking on you, you know, but you know, you know, booze is, it's like a comfort, you know, it's a blanket. Yeah. And the next thing, you know, you're not drinking with your friends, you're drinking at home like alone, just like I was talking about. And, you know, you're constantly looking to fill that hole with as much or whatever it is that you have, right. That you can, you know, because it used to be good because you were with your friends, right. You were with your, you were with your boys, you were whatever. And it was social. Right. And that was that, that, that tricks you into searching for that feeling with the alcohol, but you're not going to get that. Like you only get that from the people that you love. You know, you're not getting that from the substance, you know, and the more you drink, the more you realize that it's not filling that hole, the more upset you get, you know, and then, you know, that's a pretty easy spiral to follow. For sure. So from being in that moment or from, I guess, being in that position, obviously, nor you and I are not addiction you know, experts, and we'll get one of those people on the podcast, but just in your own opinion and in your own life, how did you kind of escape from, you know, using alcohol as a crutch and what helps you fill that hole that was trying to be filled by alcohol? Um, honestly, I, I, you know, I had to have an uncomfortable conversation with my friends, you know, I was like, Hey, like, this is something that I, that, you know, I'm going to prove to myself that I, that I have a hold of. You know, because everybody's, oh, you know, I quit whatever I want. Um, you know, so the people that were close to me, you know, that were around me, um, it was a deal where I communicated that to them. I was like, hey, like, I'm still going to come out. You know, we're going to do this, right? But, like, I'm, I'm trying to limit myself, you know? So, like, mm-hmm. hey, like, if, if we're doing this, like, don't buy me shots. Like, I'm not trying to do that. You know, I'm not trying to see how drunk I can get. You know, I don't want to lose control. I don't want to, you know, like, you know, re- release all that out, you know, so that that – at the rest of the night, I'm trying to fight to get it back. You know, um, the honestly too, the thing that, that filled it for me, um, I got back in the gym, you know, that was nice. Uh, kind of refound the passion for that. Um, mm-hmm. talking to, um, my other buddy, um, his name's Mac Wallace. Good dude. He is, he and I actually have had many, many conversations about, you know, masculinity about vulnerability about you know who who the modern man thinks that he is or who should he be um and so having somebody to talk to in those moments instead of like diving into myself you know and just trying to get drunk you know reaching out to the people that are close to me you know and one of the things I realized is that they had been there waiting for me all along you know and they had been reaching out it was something I had to realize too where it's like there's a lot of people that care about me and there's a lot of things that are trying to pour into me that I had allowed myself to, you know, to, to, to not see, right. Because of, of, you know, of what I was trying to accomplish, what I was trying to do, how we, how I thought I needed to feel, you know, based on, uh, you know, that, like we talked about that previous feeling, being out, being drunk with all the boys. Yeah, for sure. So how did you know to reach out? When did you start reaching out to Mac and your friends and, you know, what's that, <clears throat> What's that look like for you? And how were you able to have those uncomfortable conversations? Uh, I mean, kind of happened right after. Once I, once I started to, to, to kind of dial in and realize, all right, hey, like this, this isn't something, if I don't communicate this goal to people, then I'm not going to be able to achieve it. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, uh I reached out to him first. Um, he and I were just going back and forth. And I was like, Hey man, like, I think this is something that I'm trying to do. He's like, that's a good idea. And you know, what I thought was going to be kind of this drawn out, you know, 21 questions. He was like, all right, man, like, yeah. However I can support you. I got you. Um, 
and that I think was the first time that I realized what I had built up in my own head and how I felt like this was going to go. And like, you know, you get in your own mind, your anxiety gets a hold of it. Right. And I'm just having a conversation with my buddy, you know, he, he's not staging an intervention, you know, like I haven't, I haven't drank my bank account dry at this point, you know, like I didn't, you know, wrap my car around a telephone pole, something like that. It was a deal where it's like, Hey, I recognize that. I think I might have an issue. And, you know, after I spoke with him, the more people that I spoke with, the easier that it got, you know, the more people that were on board, you know, they're essentially, I was asking my friends to help me be healthier. You know, they obviously they were like, absolutely, man. You know, we, they want to see me live a long time, right? So we can continue to be friends. I would like to keep keep on living for a little bit longer, you know, so I can you know, experience some more stuff that's going on. And, you know, we can try to get this thing off the ground. So, yeah, for sure. And I think, I think that's a, a very important thing to note, right? And a great example because anxiety, and like you said, we always go to the worst case scenario. And oh yeah, being vulnerable is a tough thing, and it's because you're holding inside all these anxieties, right? And then like anything in life and the thoughts that anxiety creates, it's never as bad as it seems, right? Right. So just talking to your friend, sure, it's going to be maybe unexpected, maybe um, maybe uncomfortable, you know, and it, you'll be anxious and it, it, it's going to be hard to do. But once you do it, you're just like, oh, I wasn't that bad. And then you right. feel so much better than doing it, like you said, over and over and over again. Then you make this a habit. And if we're going to change the stigma and change society, everyone needs to be comfortable having those conversations. Everyone right. needs to make vulnerability a habit so that it's it's everyday conversations that we can be having with one another. And so we're not hiding these things inside of us and we're not taking on those anxieties all by ourselves. Right. 100%. So... From learning all these things and, you know, from your experiences, you know, why the 38 challenge? What about what we're doing fires you up? Where do you want to see this thing go and how do you want to see it help? Not only the veteran and athlete community, but help change the world. Um, well, I mean, first and foremost, the 38 challenge, right? Because, you know, Matt's my brother. Um, and, you know, like we talked about before, and I'm, I'm not afraid to say that again, man, like, you know, you coming and asking me, uh, woke up those feelings of excitement and purpose that I haven't felt in a long time. Um, and I think, you know, just like me and you have talked about a lot, uh, the best way, this is the best way to honor Matt. You know, this is the best way to honor, uh, Gary Myers, class of uh, 2012. This is the best way to honor Blake Carter. You know, these guys that <clears throat> for whatever reason, you know, these guys that were larger than life, these, 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 you know, Matt was a giant man. Blake Carter was a savage as a DB. Gary Myers was so funny and probably one of the best athletes I've ever seen. And now they're gone. And <clears throat> those dudes deserve to be remembered among countless other names, you know, and the people that we have coming on here that we have talking, if if we can save one, just like you said, man, if, if we can convince one dude to go ask for help, if we can educate one, one man enough to the point, right, where he feels empowered and he doesn't feel lost, you know, then, <clears throat> you know, we don't have to, we don't have to go through those things again. You know, if we can spare somebody, you know, some of the feelings that, you know, your family and my family has had, um, you know, why would you not, why would you not dive in? Why would you not say yes? Um, uh, I, I guess for the 38 challenge for the future, I want to see, I want to see this thing. I want to see this thing take off as, you know, not just a movement, you know, but, almost like a gathering place, right? Whether it's on social media, whether it's when we actually do the physical events, right? Like it should be, it should be a gathering, right? It should be fellowship. And it doesn't matter, male, female, it doesn't matter, athlete, non-athlete, military, civilian. You know, the whole point of it is, is that these folks that are larger than life fight with the same things 
right? That a lot of us that feel small, you know, that a lot of us that feel insignificant, that a lot of us feel like, you know, this isn't that bad. I, I shouldn't feel this way. Other people have it worse, right? And that's not true. Um, you know, I, I want the 38 challenge to, to grow to a point, right, where <clears throat> anybody can walk in and they can take their hat off and they can take their shoes off and they can sit down and they can just say, man, I'm tired. Because <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with that, you know? And to be able to come in, you know, for some safe harbor, get out of the rain, and just be around people that recognize and don't need anything from you other than for you to be yourself, you know? <clears throat> I think through a lot of the education, I think through, um, you know, us raising awareness and just being around, I think us talking about it, man, you know, being able to listen whenever people call, um, you know, I, I think little by little, kind of like, like you said, man, brick by brick, like we're going to turn this thing into something big. Yeah. hundred percent. And I want you to say it in your words, but you know, there's a difference between a mission and that's our day to day and also yeah. the vision of the challenge. You know, what is your vision for what this can do to society? If in a perfect world, man, you know, to, to be cheesy, like, you know, with the whole military stuff, like I'm not going to send you, I'm not going to send you out unarmed. Right. If, if, if we're, if we've got an operation to do, if we've got a mission, if we've got, you know, call it whatever it is. One, you're not going alone, and two, you're not going unarmed, right? So, you know, these resources, this, uh, you know, this ability to gather, this ability to talk and speak and listen, you know, to to reach out, to just be there in those moments, right? Like, this is our ammo, you know? And we're not sitting anybody out by themselves, right? You're never alone, right? And you're, you're not going out unprepared. <clears throat> um, I think... I think this is, I think this is something right where we can, right. We can, we can train the mind, right. We can equip the mind. Like we talked about with these resources and this knowledge, right. And <clears throat> we're sending people out, you know, so that they're not fighting. They're not fighting in their own heads alone. Right. Cause alone in your own head is a dangerous place to be. Yeah, man. hundred percent. So for those, for the listeners right now who are alone, and who are trying to take this battle on themselves, what advice would you give to them as someone who's been in both places? Um, <clears throat> the first time is the hardest asking for help, right? The, you know, the lie that, that you've, the lie that I told myself, right? The image that I had built up, who I had, who I had to be, how I, had to act so that others would see it and then they would think that I was that kind of person. Yo, the layers were so strong. And I realized that I had effectively cut myself off from a lot of people that really cared about me because I wanted them to think a certain a certain way about me. Mm -hmm. The fact is, is they knew who I was, you know, and whoever you are, anybody out there that feels like you're alone, right? Like you're always going to be until you ask for help. Right. And I, I think a lot of times we, we kind of get stuck and it's easy to, you know, nobody notices me or, Hey, you know, you're, you're looking for somebody to, to, to maybe swoop in and save you. Right. But hey, closed mouths don't get fed. Right. Like gotta ask, gotta ask. And that I, it doesn't have to be a professional, right. It doesn't have to be anybody else. You know, if you've got somebody you can pull to or, you know, Hey man, I, I, I gotta get this off my shoulders. You know, I've been dragging this burden around and I need, I need to expose it. I need to bring that shame into the light of day and I need to get rid of this, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's, that's a tough thing to say. And it's a hard thing for people to hear is like, it's like anything in life. Like yep. You got to, like, you have to do it. Yeah. Like I didn't know Matt was dealing with the things he was dealing with because he never told me. Right. And if he did tell me, then it would have been it would have been different, right? I would have done anything, anything that I could have done to help him escape the, the, the mindset that he was in. Right. And one of, so when Matt died, I was going to a, um, my, my pastor was going through a sermon. It was literally called, I have the book 
over there, but it's it's w- winning the war inside your mind, mm. and it's the lies that we tell ourselves. Oh man, the lies that the lies that you tell yourselves. This was literally going on. I was in the middle of the middle of the series when Matt took his life. Middle of reading this book as well, and it was winning the war in your mind. And when you tell yourself lies, then you begin to think it, right? You begin to think that you're alone. You begin to think that you are worthless. You begin to, oh yeah. You begin to think that, and it just goes into this toxic cycle, right? And Matt, I think everything happens for a reason, right? And Matt died during that message series. And I was like, man, if I could have sent Matt this book or sent him this sermon, right? then he could have, started to change the pathways in his mind and start to start to change those lies because they're they're not true right so i think it's a two-way street right you you have to determine the lies that are in your own head that you are allowing to be there right and then once you have determined those lies then you can start to talk to people and start to reroute your brain to the way that it should be and that you're not alone and that you are worth something and that you, your life matters more than anything. Right. I think, you know, to touch on the, on the worth point, um, a lot of times we don't want to be an inconvenience. Um, you know, I've had a couple of friends like, hey, well, you know, why didn't you reach out? What's going on? Oh man, you're busy. Or, you know, you're an inconvenience. And like, honestly, like, like when I hear that a lot of times, man, it, it like, it fires me up. Like I get upset, you know, like, hey, man, like how, how could our friendship, you know, be so brittle that your that your humanity is an inconvenience to me? You know, like, and you know they never mean it like that, but yeah, whenever you're able to explain it like that, like yo, your 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 humanity, right? Your existence is never an inconvenience, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times we find ourselves in those positions, just like you said, and our value and our worth is so low, right? That like, you know taking a shower, brushing, brushing your teeth, you know, the, those little like everyday hygiene maintenance things, right. Those things become, they seem monumental, you know, and making a phone call or reaching out, you know, that thing is, that's, you know, mission impossible with Tom Cruise, you know, and you're 100% right where like, if you bottle all that up man, it just, it just weighs on you, it just holds you down. Um, you know, that's why I think us trying to change change this, be more vulnerable, open up the conversation, you know, excuse me, hopefully empower other individuals to, to talk and to ask questions, you know, to start to hopefully believe that, you know, they matter enough, right. That a phone call, man, I'll stay on the phone for a hundred hours before I go to a funeral, you know, and nine times out of 10, some, that, that person, whoever it is, is hurting. Like they just want to know that you care. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I think, I think when you start, when you continue to tell yourself those lies, right, and you don't reach out to people who would do anything to help you, that's being selfish. Like, yeah, that you're right. Because I mean, you know, to your point, it's like, man, you don't trust me enough as as your friend. You don't think that I care about you, and I'd literally do anything for you, right? To to reach out to me, and it's not the fault of you know somebody who is depressed or going through PTSD or going through it's not their fault but you don't understand these things until you talk to someone so literally and to your point the advice you gave just do it just get out of your comfort zone and and tell someone about the things that you're experiencing because if you don't I mean it's it's in a way it's selfish yeah 100% no yeah man um Oh, this is just part one of, you know, many podcasts that that we'll do together, and you know, I'm so so very excited to to go on this journey with you, man. And we're going to impact a lot of a lot of lives. We we truly will. Um, so, how do the listeners? Because I know Bo was down to talk to anyone. Um, you know, he, he is the guy who, who makes phone calls, who answers phone calls, who has those hard conversations. If someone out there feels that they can't talk to anyone, how could someone get a hold of, hold of you? 
Uh, I mean, short of blasting my name or my number on the internet, I'm yeah, probably yeah. not going to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Through the gram, uh, you know, uh, send me, send me a message, uh, send the 38 challenge a message. Um, <clears throat> also too, there are, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared now with the Google stuff, man, but there's dude, there's hotlines, there's, there's text chains, there's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. People are manning, people are manning phones 24 seven everywhere. Right. And if you can get a hold of me and there's something going on, you know, by all means, um, if you feel like there's nowhere to turn or honestly too, a lot of times, like some, some people are embarrassed and they don't want to tell the people that are close to them about that. You know, there's the national suicide hotline, um, uh, and a, a ton of resources like that, where, you know, somebody anonymous, right. You can just word vomit to dump it all out. Right. That way you're not carrying it around your head. Um, you know, the, uh, kind of, like you say, getting out of your comfort zone, you know, just a little bit of effort. You know, all it takes is, you know, that first message, all it takes is, you know, like that first Google search to get a phone number, you know, the, I think you'll find too, that internally, you're going to, you're going to want to get it off of you more than you really think you are. And after that first step, man, it's all downhill from there. Mm -hmm. Boom, it just keeps rolling. Yeah. It's all about that first step. hundred percent. And anytime, because we're not saying that you know, you can't feel alone. That is why people take their lives because they do feel alone. We want you to know that if you reach out to the 38 challenge on Instagram or do whatever, we will drop anything in a heartbeat to connect you to the people that you need to and to have that conversation with you. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, if, if listening to this makes you want to take that first step, which is the whole purpose of this, of this podcast to take that first step towards help, you know, let us be that, be that person as well. So with that, Bo, I love you, man. Um, excited to, to change the world with you, brother. Um, we're just getting started. Hey, one step at a time, right? None of us is alone. Yes, sir. All right. See you, Bo. All right, dog.